2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, how are you doing?
1: Hey, good evening, Carlos, and good evening, good morning, good afternoon to all the fight fans out there. We're going to kick it off with a remarkable performance by one of the greatest fighters that anybody will ever see of any lifetime.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the star of this past weekend was Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, who I mean just continues to defy expectations of what we expect uh, from a fighter who's been undergone who's undergone through so many wars for his careers. How many times have we basically said, Yeah, he's done, should probably start thinking about retirement? Nope. Saturday on The Zone in San Diego, California, Roman Tito Gonzalez continues to prove that he's still an elite pound-for-pound boxer, just completely outboxes and dominates Julio Cesar Martinez, who is the current WBC Flyweight Champion, comes in... uh, on about six weeks' notice, moves up to Superflyway to take this fight with Chocolatito. Uh, I, there was some, you know, there was a bit of a controversy, there was an issue with Martinez the day before, but we'll get into that later on. But the at the end of it all, it was Julie, it was Chocolatito winning a very decisive 12 round decision against Julio Cesar Martinez. And what was simply a sensational fight, it was almost your typical Chocolatito fight. Uh, yeah. Although it's, I, I would say typical, but it's actually a somewhat more more reserved and efficient Chocolatito. Tito only threw just north of one thousand punches throughout the twelve rounds, and I know, say you know, saying that he threw over a thousand punches and was a little more efficient, efficient and conservative. seems it's a little, um, you know. Uh, oxymoronic but believe me he was a lot more selective with his punches his speed was still excellent he was dominating martinez and pressuring him and you know and almost every junction and avenue of the fight martinez was about as agile and as electric and fast and smart and selective and accurate at whatever you want to say throughout those 36 minutes as you know He's always been for the last how many years. And this was just an absolutely scintillating performance from Chocolatito who, you know, right now, even at this stage of his career, he's still a top 10 pound for pound boxer. I mean, at at the end of the night, I mean, if you need any more of a reminder, Chocolatito is not only a first battle hall of famer, but as Robert said, one of the greatest boxers that, you know, you'll ever see. I mean, mm-hmm. this past Saturday was a perfect reminder of just how good Tito is.
1: Carlos, you said he was the star of the weekend. He's been the star of the year so far. This was the greatest performance any fighter has put on in 2021. It's early. We got a long way to go and a lot of big fights coming up. But he was phenomenal. And look at this. I think he I think he threw less than ten jabs in the entire fight. He dominated this fight against an aggressive fighter without utiliza- utilization of a jab. And the only way to beat Chocolatito is to jab. Martinez was walking right into him, took a beating. Carlos this reminded me of the night Julio Cesar Chavez beat the total snot out of Edward Rosario. And Rosario was never the same. Um you and I mentioned several times on this podcast how Martinez, because of his aggressive style, has a very, very short window. Well, that window might have been slammed shut Saturday night. I'm going to go on the record and say he will never be the same. He took one of those career beatings that ruins a fighter, whether he goes back down to 112 or stays at 115. um, His time as an elite fighter is very soon, if not already, coming to an end.
2: So, I got the copy box numbers, and so Chocolatito only landed 28 jabs in that entire mm. fight. He landed and he 346 power punches. He landed over 50% of his power punches, which is oh. insane. And his work rate and his efficiency actually increased as the fight went on. He landed 44 punches in the 11th round, which was the second most he landed mm-hmm. in the fight, surpassed by the 58 punches he landed in the 12th round alone. That's just absolutely he He gave Martinez
1: a one-sided beating. Um, the corner did not save their fighter. Martinez has a short window because of his aggressive style. After the 8th round, they should have stopped that fight. The corner should have said, Let's stop it. Especially remember Carlos. Martinez told his corner that his hand hurts and that he and that he's exhausted. Remember? He said that in the quarter. They should have stopped it right then and there. He was a sitting duck for those last four rounds. He took a beating.
2: Yeah, it this is just it it was incredible just seeing how it was so it's all the shades of, you know, when Chocolate fought Calya five were we're all we're all just kind of stunned at just how much better Chocolatito is in just about almost every way possible and we thought that the physicality of Martinez and his mm-hmm. style could present some problems and but Mart- it was tailor made for it was
1: tailor made for Chocolatito quick yeah. question yeah um, Estrada Chocolatito 3 is that going to be the next fight I hope so what do you think I, What do you what are you hearing
2: I mean it's still early but right now it's you know everything's up in the air. You know, obviously the the trilogy fight is in play, but there's a lot of different fights that you know that realistically can be made. I think. But don't I, you I, think, I think that I'm, should be? Don't you think that should be priority over any other fight? That I mean, I sh- that should. But here's the thing. Here's the problem. Uh, Estrada was ordered by the WBA to fight Joshua Franco. So that has to sort of need, need that needs to be situated.
1: Because uh, Josh was definitely not fighting his brother So
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know this fight Was for a, you know, diamond uh, WBC diamond belt And, you know, Estrada is the uh, The quote-unquote oh, WBC would... Franchise Let... champion, but obviously You know, that WBA order That comes first, it's Franco fight Well,
1: let's play. fantasy, let's fantasy match make Since you got two brothers and A lot of the same participants Promotional-wise And network-wise Bam versus Chocolatito Mm -hmm. and Franco versus um, Estrada. Uh, We can't have Franco fight Bam if they win their fights. We got to have Chocolatito and Estrada win those fights. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much. I mean, I don't know. On the same card, a doubleheader. Man, talk about
2: a super flyweight doubleheader. That would be incredible. I don't know if, you know. I don't know how close Eddie Hearn is with Marcos Maidana, but I don't know if he maybe Eddie wants to give him a call and have you know Fernando Martinez, who's the IBF super flyweight champion, maybe unify with one of the belt holders at that Eddie. That, has. That'll be and you know what? Wait a minute. Um, doesn't
1: doesn't on want a rematch right away? It, it, isn't that in the cards? And isn't there like
2: a a rematch clause it's- or something? Um, you know, I believe there a rematch is is in yeah. play, but at the same time, and, and and Cajas, or I think more specifically Sean Gibbons had said, you know, they're considering a move up to one eighteen.
1: Oh man,
2: if he's not beating guys at one fifteen uh, convincingly, what the hell is he
1: going to do at one eighteen with the Inoue's and Donairs of the world? Nah, I don't know. Nah. We'll see.
2: I don't. I don't know. It's very much in play, but you know if. They don't want—if they ultimately don't go with the rematch, All right, well, then... if they don't
1: want the rematch, then, you know, oh, man, I would— man. Martinez versus—Fernando Martinez versus Chocolatito would be a tremendous fight. I see a uh, man, and he's, he, he, he's a younger version of Estrada. Man, you've got so many great matchups you could make at 115. The only matchup you can't make is the Rodriguez-Franco brothers. You can't make that
2: matchup. Yeah. I mean, there's always Casito Ioka, but I don't know— you know, how feasible you can make a deal with Kazuto Ioka going going to the United States, because at this point, I don't know if you can sort of rely on doing fights in Japan. I mean, well, I know you we can rely, you rely on the
1: United States because the entire country is wide open, wide open. Um, it's, it's ironic, and I'm not going to be political. I'm just going to say st- st- this without being political. We're almost two years to the date that the pandemic started. And the country, on its two-year anniversary, is wide open. So you could have the fight anywhere in the United States. Yeah. He could make it here from Japan.
2: Yeah, I, I think you can. I just am curious to see how much, you know, if, if a deal Look, like that if can he wants made. if Look, if, if he wants a major fight, he's got to
1: come here. These guys do not have to go over there. They hold all the cards. They hold
2: all the belts, and they hold all the cards. He's got to come here. Yeah. So one quick note from Dan Canobio. So the 1,076 punches that Chocolatito threw against uh, Julio Cesar Martinez was his lowest 12 round output since the Estrada, since the Juan Francisco Estrada fight, not the one from a couple of years ago, the I'm one from 10 years ago.
1: ago. Yeah, a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Gonzalez has been anything but uh, consistent. Throughout his entire career. That's why he's one of the all-time greatest fighters. Like I said at the top of the program, regardless of how old you are, I'm fifty I'll be fifty-four in two months. Carlos is half my age. A lot of you listening are in your thirties and forties. Doesn't matter how far you go back. In any era, is one of the all time greats. Right? And he's consistent. Consistent. Um and and um be grateful that you're seeing him now. Because he's not going to be able to maintain this for at least a couple of more years. So be blessed that you've seen a master doing what he does. And you know what, Carlos, that really impressed me was his defense throughout this fight. Yeah, He made Martinez miss all night long, and he was right in front of Martinez.
2: Yeah, it... his defense was excellent. He made, you know, Martinez only landed 182 punches out of 713 to two, 26% of his punches. Ridiculous. Ridiculous for an inside
1: fighter. Yeah. That's, it's... ladies and gentlemen, that's Roberto Duran and James Tony in their prime type defense inside, which were two of the two greatest inside defensive fighters ever, I ever saw in my lifetime. That's the type of fight Chocolatito fought Saturday night without a jab. And with a guy who was throwing home run shots with every shot,
2: in Martinez. Now, it, it should be mentioned that Martinez was having trouble making weight in this That's fight. That's his fault.
0: That's yeah, his fault. He
2: came into the fight. He came, first came into the weigh and swinging. One seventeen. The hell was for, he doing? At, at one, for a fight that was supposed to be at one hundred and fifteen pounds, came back only, you know, uh, only managed to get down to one sixteen point four. Fight was in jeopardy up until that point. He needed to weigh in maximum one twenty six and a half the morning of the fight. He made made weight well within that range. Explain this to me, Carlos. Uh huh. Was that uh?
1: Bullshit, made up title, on the line. If Martinez, if Martinez would have won Saturday night, would he gotten that belt even though he didn't make the hundred and fifteen pound weight limit? No, no. Okay. The, the, no, the diamond title that was on know, the line because The was zone just... and you mentioned this on Twitter. The zone never even talked about it. They acted like it didn't exist. They didn't. I, I was like, what the hell are they? What the hell are they doing? They're not reporting what's going on. And, so and I'm you can buy you, and... I got to give you and. Was it Jake Donovan? I think you guys gave g- gave the most details I saw on Twitter about the weight situation. The zone, they, they they
2: acted clueless, and they didn't inform the fans of what was going on. And you can tell from those ceremonial weigh-ins, Eddie Hearn was pissed. He was not happy mm-hmm. with what had happened. Because the weigh-ins that we were shown that were broadcast on the zone – those were after the fact. Those are the ceremonial weigh-ins, but the, right, in right. the afternoon, the weigh-ins had actually taken place early in the morning. But, yeah, that was a very... It really was was a string time. And I find it so bizarre seeing a guy who's a champion at 112 go to 115, and I get doesn't it. It doesn't make it's sense. Not, technically, he did not have a full camp, but it's not like came in on two weeks' notice. He had a He had six weeks. He had six weeks, which is... Look. That's almost a full camp. I've been watching boxing
1: for 45, 46 years now. The typical training camp for a fighter is six to eight weeks. So there's no excuses. Especially a guy who is coming up in weight. It's not like he's fighting at his weight.
2: Um, Yeah. The only explanation I can have is that he's the guy that that needs eight to ten weeks to be able to drop to 112. And if that's the case, then, you know, his— Time at 112 is not going to be very long even without this fight.
1: Look, I don't think he's going back to 112. I think right now he's going to be a stepping stone fighter at 115 because, to be honest with you, after the beating he took Saturday night, he's not beating Bam Rodriguez. He's not beating Joshua Franco. He's not beating Ioka. He's not beating Vasai, and he's not beating Estrada. He's going to be a punching bag for any of those guys. He fights and hope.
2: Thank God that he's not in the mix right now. He, he's and, outside looking in now. And here's the, I mean, but here's the thing. It, at least if we are to sort of interpret what Eddie Hearn was saying, it sounded like plan is still to have Martinez go back down to one twelve. Which good good luck at making that weight because he will be. Oh my God! Talk about dehydrated. Woo. Yeah, it just. It, Again, maybe he's a guy that needs 8 to 10 weeks, but here's the thing. It's not like the idea of Martinez moving up from 112 before this fight was a foreign concept. We all knew it was an it was inevitable that Martinez was going to move up from it. It was a matter of when that was going to happen. I would imagine that probably accelerated the, you know, that uh that time frame of moving up, but the problem is, I mean, if you if he stays at one fifteen, he's he literally has nothing to offer to the table. So nothing. it almost feels like he has nothing. to go back to one twelve, build himself back up, so that when he goes back to one fifteen, he becomes a better name for fights to make it that weight.
1: Yeah, because right now, like you said, just said Carlos, he's not in the mix anymore after that one sided uh, thrashing.
2: Before we move on to this past weekend's fight, the rest of the fights, I do want to inform the folks out there that you can go to the Fight Game Media Patreon and take a listen at our special episode of Pound for Pound, where we look at some of the greatest upsets in boxing history. January, we did the Lloyd Hunnigan-Donald Curry fight, now for the month of February, We did the first fight between Esteban De Jesus and Roberto Duran, which we saw, we analyzed it. It was my first time watching that fight. I had never seen the first fight. I'd seen the second and the third fight. So this was a a very interesting experience for me to go watch uh, Esteban beat Roberto Duran hand him his first ever loss. Robert, what is the fight that we're going to be looking at for the month of March? It's it's crazy how the third straight month
1: we will be looking at a legendary fighter's first loss. In January it was Donald Curry versus Lloyd Hunnigan. In February it was Roberto Duran versus Esteban De Jesus, and in March coming up in a couple of weeks we'll be looking at finally the first loss of Julio Cesar Chavez Senior, not the fraud of a son Junior, <laughs> but Senior, and uh, after he escaped a couple of close, well, one wasn't a close close, outright robbery, and the other one was stopped with two seconds left. Oh yeah. depends on how you look at it. I think it was a justifiable stoppage because Meldrick Taylor was not looking at the referee. Responded. Being said, Frankie Randall versus Julio Cesar Chavez from January of nineteen ninety four will be the next iconic upset in boxing history. That we'll be looking at at the Patreon, um,
2: on the Patreon Fight Game Media page. It's been about, man, it's been a long time since I saw that fight. So, hey, hey, it's gonna be a fight that I've actually seen before, but I'm almost gonna be looking at this with fresh eyes. So yeah, you're I'm gonna be looking to at it with.
1: Um, last time I saw it was about was when Frankie died. Frankie died about I think a little bit over a year ago, and um. He, you, I'm, you're going to be upset, Carlos, at the scorecards, even though Frankie won. I don't know what the fuck the judges were looking at. We'll talk more about that on the Patreon. Something for you guys to look at. Um, um, I would recommend the listeners that subscribe to the Patreon before you listen to the, the special podcast, rewatch the fight, all the fight. rewatch all the fights that we are talking about. They're all available on YouTube. Score it and judge for yourself before you listen to our analysis and see if they match and see if you think that the fights that went all the way were justifiable decisions. They were, but we leave it up to you.
2: (laughs) NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. So now moving on to, actually, Friday, last Friday night, Top Rank had mm-hmm. a card in Fresno, California on ESPN+, Plus, headlined by WBC junior welterweight title eliminator between Jose Ramirez and Jose Pedraza. A very, very interesting matchup between two top 10 guys at 140 pounds. But Ramirez coming out of that first loss to Josh Taylor last year for the undisputed titles at 140 pounds Ramirez looked phenomenal this past weekend he yes, was he sharp yes, he was he very aggressive but he was also playing the fight smart paddrosa was not able to get into any rhythm whatsoever wasn't able to get off in uh, you know to a good start and had to essentially play catch-up because Ramirez was just so Overwhelmingly aggressive and his pressure was just not allowing Pedraza to get into any rhythm and setting up his punches, which is where he excels at best. Ramirez wins a a decision over Pedraza is now firmly in line to challenge for a title if if and when Josh Taylor vacates his titles. This was a you know this was a fantastic comeback performance for Jose Ramirez that. You can now argue given that given how Josh Taylor looked in his last fight and now how Jose Ramirez looked uh right now, you can make a pretty darn good argument that Jose Ramirez probably could be Josh Taylor right now if they were to do a rematch. Yes he could.
1: Yes he could and uh I don't know where Taylor's going next, but as far as Ramirez you're right, Carlos. He was tremendous. That's one of the best performances of his career. Pedraza, uh, his uh, performance baffled me because this is not the same Pedraza that was using that jab and throwing combinations and countering. He kept his fucking ass and back up against the ropes. You're not beating Ramirez if you're up against. What would you guess? What would you venture guess as to how the percentage? of times throughout the fight that pedraza spent up against the ropes i would say between 40 to 50 percent he kept going up against the ropes he no jab it was not a good performance by pedraza year at the end he was coming on but it was too little way too little too late and
2: not like it rope. was dominating ramirez by that point either no 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 was
1: if you were just giving doing him a little around, better he barely won any rounds, all right, in that fight. I gave him three rounds. You could have made a case for uh, 10 rounds for Ramirez. Pedraza fought a very bad strategic fight. Ramirez fought the perfect fight. Ramirez cannot box you. He's got to be inside, bang you to the body. Ramirez was landing body shots galore. Ramirez, he's not a ho- he's, he's not a power puncher, but he wears you down. He outworks you. And he completely outworked Pedraza, and right now, in my opinion, the two best junior welterweights in the world are Regis Prograce and Jose Ramirez, with or without Josh Taylor. And it's funny. The two guys that Taylor beat, and if you put a gun to my head, I don't think he could beat either of the rematch.
2: <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned r- Prograce right now. So here's the so here's the, uh, the scenario that we are looking at at a 140-pound division. Mm-hmm. Josh Taylor holds all the belts, right? He's going to vacate them all. Yeah, yes. that's, that's, you know, that's a foregone conclusion. The question is, when does he vacate those titles? Because that's actually a very important question. But before you no. continue, is Tio Lopez in the mix for any of these vacated titles? Once that happens, that's where I'm getting at. So, all right, go ahead, go ahead. So if Taylor, and I mentioned this after the Taylor fight, but now it's actually a lot more and clear. It, and afterwards. is Jack
1: Catterall in the mix for one of those
2: vacant uh, titles? Because he deserves to be. Oh, that, here's the thing. So if Taylor were to vacate his titles right now, mid it, it's March 9 right now. Mm-hmm. WBC, it's pretty cut and dry. It's Jose Cepeda versus Jose Ramirez because those are the top two guys. That that that's that's a done deal. That should be those should be the only two guys in the WBC. That's race. that's the easiest so, fight so. you could possibly make. Yeah. It's a rematch. They both have some history together. It's an in-house fight that you can make since both are promoted by Top Rank. Right. Yeah. So it, the uh, next. So if either of them can't fight, whether by injury, COVID, or whatever, if either of them can't, so you have to go to next uh, highest ranked available contender. That would be Regis Progress, who's number three. In the WBC rankings, followed by Sandor Martin, who beat Mikey Garcia last year. Okay. WBA, it's Alberto Puello at number one. The reason why he's number one is because he held the interim belt for the WBA. And when the WBA eliminated the interim belts as part of their world title reduction uh, plan, part of the stipulation was, yeah. Interim belt holders are go to number one, or right. are, are jump to number one spot. He was originally mm-hmm. kind of more or less slated to be the mandatory to Gervonta Davis when he held the regular belt at 140, but since he vacated that belt to right. stay at 135, then he essentially become Josh Taylor's WBA mandatory. Right. Number right. two is Ismael Barroso, followed by O'Hara Davis at three, and Sandor Martin again at four. The IBF. It's also kind of pretty much cutting dry, sort of. Number one is Jeremiah's Ponce, and number two is Subriel Matias. Both win title eliminators. Now, the interesting thing about this one that be, is... That would be a hell of a fight, man. It's a fantastic all-action fight. Oh, my God. That's mouth-watering right there. The interesting part of all this is, again, when does Taylor vacate those titles? Because the IBF could very well say... Okay, we all know Taylor's going to vacate this title, so let's just make Ponce versus Matias order that as either a super, fi- uh, not a super, but a final eliminator or just make it for an interim belt or uh, interim title, and if Taylor vacates, whoever's the interim title holder is automatically elevated the, to champion. It becomes, becomes the world champion, right. The WBO, this is the hardest one to sort of pinpoint. Only because the new WBO rankings have not been released. It will at some point this month. But right now, they have not been uh, released. And this one's very difficult. Because Jack Catterall is number one. He's the mandatory challenger uh, for Josh Taylor's WBO title. But these rankings reflect before Catterall's loss... To Josh Taylor. And the WBO has not said whether or not Cadrell is owed a rematch. Carlos, Carlos, Mm -hmm.
1: you you know that they cannot justify dropping him from that number one slot. There's no justification. You got robbed.
2: Okay, it's not that I don't agree, but here's the thing. I cannot— trust-sanctioning bodies when it comes to I, the I, numbering does, positions of the rankings. It, it's If they drop them to
1: four or five, what's, what's the sense of having a governing body? It doesn't make sense. It will not make sense. Who's the number two at WBO before this? Uh, So b-
2: Caterol is number one. And again, these are the February rankings, not the March rankings. Right. Caterol is number one. Liam Paro is number two, who— some of you may not know this, but he fought not too long ago on the undercar- pay-per-view undercard of the Jake Paul-Tyron Woodley rematch. He beat Umar Alamo in the pay-per-view opener. Right, right, right. I think we, I think Paro dropped uh, Alamo in very early in the fight and won a close decision. That was Alamo's first defeat, right, as, yes. a, as a profession. Yes. yes. Paro's number two. Teofimo Lopez is number three, followed by Arnold Barbosa at four. All right. I already know what's going to happen. You just –
1: this is what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. I hope I'm wrong, please. (laughs) But if I'm right, I'm going to be pissed at myself. They're going to drop Catterall three, and they're going to
2: have Lopez fight for the vacant WPL title. Despite the fact he's never fought at 140. (laughs) Now, this is – here's the thing. Again – a lot of it also, again, really depends on what the WBO rankings reflect because let's imagine let's imagine a scenario where Catterall stays at number one and he'll be given a number – stays at number one or goes to number two, whatever. Right, let's say number one for now. Let's say number one for now. Right. I hope because it's only right that he stays at number one, but let's – all right. Let's assume he stays at number one. Go ahead, Carlos. Arnold Barbosa and his manager, Rick Merrigan, has been asking for a Teofimo Lopez fight. It is an in-house fight. And if you were to... So that would be a, fi- that would be a final eliminator. That would right? be essentially, you know, winner would move on to gets to number one or number two. But regardless, mm-hmm. they face Jack Catterall. But again, that depends on what the rankings reflect. And that depends on when Josh Taylor vacates his titles. Because when then I specify obviously when because you know some guys may fight at a later date and you know if they lose, they drop in the rankings and the way these right. sanctioning bodies go usually, not always, there's been some cases where you know other circumstances than what I'm about to say has to, uh, has happened when it comes to vacant titles, but typically, you go by the two highest ranked available contenders in that sanctioning body's rankings and now there i've seen you know there has been times in the past where you have guys you know fight for a vacant title but they would not be you know, but they wouldn't be the, the top two guys in that sanctioning body's ranking, son. Mm. Can- Canelo versus Callum Smith. That was for the vacant WBC title, but Callum was a champion of, for the WBA, and Canelo right. Right. was yeah. not. He, he I think at that point, he was not a belt holder, or I think he was just the WBA regular champion. I don't remember. Right. He was WBA regular champion, yeah. I don't quite mm. remember, but, neither, but regardless, neither guy was the was were ranked in the WBC rankings, but they still allowed. So you can so there are some scenarios where you could envision, you know, sanctu- uh, you know, fighters who were not necessarily ranked in the top two find their way to get into the mix for a vacant title shot, but Obviously, envisioning those scenarios, that would kind of be bringing up a lot of hypotheticals and opening a Pandora's box of almost endless possibilities that you can do. So, Uh, you know, it's worth not examining those and just going by what can be like that, which are the rankings. Right, right. As I said, WBC, WBA, and IBF, almost cut and dry. WBO Mm -hmm. is interesting because we need to know. How the new rankings come out. And it's interesting that the WBO has not said anything in regards to Catarol. They have not said anything about, you know, we're going to take a look at the fight and see, you know, and, and see what happens, you know, if, if we decide to order a rematch or if Catarol is still owed a title shot. I find that very interesting because, Rob, you see, you've seen this from the WBO. There have been instances where. A controversial decision happens and the WBO is relatively quick to jump on that and say we're gonna take a look at it and make a final determination. They, later. they usually are quicker than the other sanctioning bodies. But they have not said anything right. about the decision. Right. They haven't said a damn thing.
1: Which is which is which is very, very strange. Which for, which is yeah. why
2: I'm it's slowly starting to creep up on the realization that Catarell. Might actually be out of a title shot.
1: Then that would be the biggest crime.
2: It, it is. That, it, I, that'd be a bigger crime than him losing a, a horrible decision to Taylor. Yeah, and the problem is Cadderall. I mean, and the other sanctioning bodies. He's not necessarily ranked high. He's number nine at the WBC. Yeah, number ten in the WBA. And in the IBF, he's not even the top fifteen. Period.
1: He wasn't ranked in the IBF. So, well, and you know, that's, you know that shows how strong the hundred and forty pound division is. Carlos just mentioned eight ten fighters, eight to ten fighters that are world class fighters. The one hundred and forty pound division is stacked,
2: and. Here's the problem with Jack Catterall. If you don't get a vacant title shot, you're not getting a title shot for a long time, or at least not be not be a, a mandatory. you know, not be a mandatory because Catterall was the mandatory, and right. he's gonna have to wait a year until after hope, a new champion hope, is crowned.
1: I hope we're wrong, and I hope the WBO does the right thing. But like Carlos said, to rely on sanctioned bodies to do the right thing. Uh, you'll die of a heart attack first. This is this is just uh, crazy. I, before we go on to the weekend, I wanted to mention Gabriel Flores' horrific performance against Abraham Montoyo, and I don't know what the ESPN announcing crew was looking at. Timothy Bradley was acting like he put on a masterpiece. Gabriel Flores ran, he held, he did everything he could not to get hurt. It was a horrible performance, and he still shows effects of his beating at the hands of Lopez last year. I'm going to go on record right now. Flores is a shot fighter. Yeah, I, you know,
2: and and I feel bad because I
1: can't you know, like What were your thoughts Flores? about his performance, Carlos? Because he did not look well. And what and your thoughts on the ESPN commentating, what the hell were they looking at?
2: I, You know, I'll be honest. I wasn't paying much to, attention to the commentary uh, by that point of the card. But, yeah, no, look, Gabe Flores, man, it's... Obviously, he's still young. He's only 21, but I mean, the last two fights, the last two Luis Alberto Lopez and this very close win to Abraham Montoya, I don't know. I mean, this just doesn't, and this was supposed to be a fight where Flores would shine and look good, but man, I don't want to, you know, some fighters just don't have he did, it. He did. He didn't fight
1: to win He fought not to lose And he got the Decision could have gone either way I'm not going to say he, mm-hmm. uh, Montoya was robbed it, it could have gone either way There were several close rounds But Flores ran too much He held too much uh, Referee Jack Reese should have taken a point away He held every round several times mm-hmm. And what,
2: he might have gotten one warning In ten rounds What the hell Right. Um, can we talk about Richard Torres's debut God. Oh uh, yeah! Talk about because- that was one of the strangest debuts I've ever seen. <laughs> so Richard Torres, who won the Olympic silver medal in the Tokyo uh, Olympics as super heavyweight, comes into this fight. You know, very intelligent. He's a very, very uh good amateur boxer. He comes into this fight, and then his opponents, Alan Melson, is just you know almost like. His movement and his fighting style was more akin to someone kind of like throwing a tantrum all over the ring and just trying to throw wild punches all over. Mm. There was a lot of head clutches. Torres suffered a cut, um, which is got, which you know is yeah. Sanctu- uh, commissions were going to keep him out of action for a few months, which you know that's a that's a horrible uh, thing for his progression because now he's going to be out for months. And Torres
1: being that. That's sad, Carlos, because when you start your career, you want to fight six to eight times at least in your first year as a professional. He's not fighting be until lucky.
2: well into the spring, maybe early summer. Then, Which is, you know, like you said, uh, this, this gonna it's going to hamper his progress. And then, Melson, correct me if I get this wrong, uh, Robert, Melson goes down early, the referee is kind of just motioning things off, almost like it's a slip, then People from the commission jump into the ring thinking to fight this over.
1: No, it wasn't. The referee called it a slip and said, continue. I'm like, what? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Everybody was confused. And Melson was just, you know, flailing around the ring, throwing punches all over. Torres wins with a second round knockout. But man, this was just. This was just bizarre. And, and Torres just drops him multiple times. I mean, Melson was not. He just not
1: it. Oh, Carlos, uh, we forgot to mention maybe the fight of the year and the round of the year, Mauricio Lara. We got to talk about that fight, right? Right. What up?
2: right bring fight. a good point. Yeah, from the the, the zone card, uh, the chocolate deal <laughs> oh undercard, Mauricio Lara, Juan Carlos Burgos. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not not Juan Carlos Burgos. No, 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 Emilio no, no. Sanchez. Not Burgos. Emilio Sanchez, right? (laughs) Those two had... Sanchez
1: almost pulled the upset of the year!
2: (laughs) I mean, this was just... That was another wild, chaotic fight, but this one actually was all for, you know, good reasons. This fight only lasted three rounds only, and... So Lara drops Sanchez in the first round. Sanchez is just hurt; he's in survival mm-hmm. mode. And then Emilio, then in the third round, Emilio hurts Lara, just completely stuns him. On, Looks like he's actually about to stop Lara. Yes. And then Lara, at the literal end of the round, drops these two big right hands. Since Laura, uh, since Sanchez, almost out of the ring, and the fight is oh, but over. before. The- Before that happened, though, didn't he tackle or fall to the floor and got himself a few seconds to recover before he landed that knockout shot? I I think so, kind of, yeah. Yes. It was was real crazy. I mean, that was a hell of a fight. It was wild. It was short. But, I mean, those were nine minutes well spent watching that fight. Laura landed. Man, I'm not going to say it's the KO of the years up to this point, but it's— it's in the conversation. It's in that so, top 10 so far. Last for first week, you two-
1: mentioned what the KO of the year was. I'm
2: sorry? Last week, you mentioned the KO of the year. Right. Hey, Robert, your your mic is uh, – I think you disconnected your mic.
1: can't find a hole. <laughs> there we go. I couldn't find a hole there. Uh, last week, you mentioned the knockout of the year. Uh yeah, I haven't watched that fight yet, but from the way you described it, that would sound like my leading contender. This right here though would be my leading contender for fight of the year and round 3 definitely a, a a strong contender for round of the year because Lara was out on his feet and he almost blew his uh title shot that he's supposed to have later on this year.
2: Yeah, man. Lara is thankful that he got out of that fight because he needs that win. Uh, he needs to uh, settle the score with Joshua Warrington if Joshua Warrington beats Kiko Martinez, uh, which we
1: expect. We we expect we expect that uh, Warrington to win. Um, in in that, and I think Lara has my, uh Warrington's number. We'll see. But Lara reminds me of Arturo Gatti. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay, so we got a few fights coming up over the horizon, but none bigger than the Gennady Golovkin-Ryota Murata fight card in Japan finally happening. April 9 on The Zone in Saitama, Japan. Very, very good
1: Uh, fight. Hold on, Unified. hold on. Is is that, that fight's going to be on The Zone? Yes. Will it be on April 9th or April 10th in the morning in the United States?
2: Uh, As far as I understand, it's April 9th, morning of April So it'll be like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, right? Maybe. Possibly, yes. It it depends on— Because remember, Ryan Garcia is also fighting on the zone that day. Yes, yes. I'm Mm. just curious. They have not—and this is strange. They have not said what time they're going to be airing the card— and they actually did not say whether or not they're going to be airing uh undercard fights, which I really hope they do because it is Oh a... wait, we're we're
1: we're a month away though. We're, we're 30 days away.
2: Yep. Yep. And the undercard No undercard no undercard was announced? Uh there are only a couple of fights were on, were uh announced for the undercard, but this you know, the zone didn't announce this was announced over there in Japan. Uh Shuichiro Yoshino, undefeated lightweight, fourteen zero, go up against Masayuki though, former super featherweight champion for the OPBF. Uh, that, lightweight. That fight,
1: that fight should be televised.
2: That's a good fight. It's a damn that's good
1: one fight. Of, that's, one of ja- that's one of the uh, Japan's hottest young prospects against a former world champion. That fight has to be televised.
2: Yeah, it, you know that should be on the zone. With you know, no question about it, and. Also on that undercard, Junto Nakatani, WBO Flyweight Champion, goes up against uh, Ryota Yamauchi, who's been on a very, very good run uh, as far as knocking out opponents uh, and within the last two years, I I would say.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is a tremendous card. You have three very good matchups. Do whatever you can to wake up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning that Saturday morning. Look, don't go to sleep. Most of you don't work on Saturday. Hang out with the wife, the girlfriend, or playing spades or dominoes with your friends. Watch the late-night NBA game. Go out, get something coffee, <laughs> and get ready for a car to start at 3 o'clock on the zone. This is a tremendous card. It, it would be criminal, Carlos. If those two on the card fights that you
2: just mentioned are not televised. I agree. I mean, I I really want those fights. This is a to tremendous
1: a... card. Tremendous card.
2: Yeah, they they really are going all out with this one. If you got Junto Nakatani, who's one of the most exciting Japanese fighters mm-hmm. right now, is your third from the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to show how good this, fight, this card this is. This is a tremendous card showcasing some very
1: popular Japanese talent. To the American audience. So the Zone has
2: to show this. They just can't make it a one fight card. It would be ridiculous. It yeah. I mean the Zone doesn't often air fights from Japan, but to their credit, I believe they do air some undercard bouts. So fingers crossed on that one. I think, on time, fingers- I think the last time I think the last time the Zone aired a card from Japan was the Nonito Nair Now Yoy fight from a couple of years ago.
1: Did um did they show any on the card fights cuz I only watched the Donaire uh, uh I only watched the Donaire fight. I didn't uh, the Donaire I, versus Inouye
2: I didn't watch anything else. I don't remember. I think they did, but it's been so long and it was so early. I don't have a firm memory of it so. I don't know. We we'll, we we'll, we'll see. God damn, it's been over 2
1: years. Time flies cuz this was November of 2019. This was before
2: <laughs> the pandemic. Yes. Yes. So WBO has finally issued their decree, the resolution as to the Dremel Charlo Brian Castano situation for the undisputed junior middleweight title. So originally, this fight was supposed to take place. Actually, the announced date was March ten, uh, March nineteen, I should say, March nineteen mm-hmm. for the undisputed titles. Then uh, Castano suffered a bicep injury that was you know going to keep him out of action for a couple of months uh, uh, for a couple of weeks only so the idea of all this was that The winner of this fight was supposed to fight Tim Su, the mandatory challenger for the WBO. But this fight between Charlo and Castaño, the rematch from last year that ended in a draw, has been pushed back multiple times. Originally, this was supposed to take place late last year. It didn't happen. Then pushed back to February. Didn't happen. Then moved to March 19. Didn't happen. And then the injury came. And no date had been announced. So Tim Tsu has been asking, hey... We've been very patient and give me Brian Castaño, give me the WBO title shot. And the WBO was asking Castaño to show cause as to the injury, documentation of it, and why the fight should happen. And, and I and I detail all of this in a lot more in, in regards like a I don't know, like a 1,400, 1,500 word thing on my newsletter on Substack um uh, Go check check it out at Carlstoro.substack.com, Cheap plug there. But the the main point was, the WBO has said, okay, Charlo and Castaño can move forward with the WBO junior middleweight title on the line. So, but it comes with a couple of stipulations. The first one being, the fight has to take place no later than Saturday, May 14. Meaning, and it's already been reported that Showtime is putting that fight on May 14th. So you know, It um, only that. makes
1: sense, Carlos, because uh, that's an open date, and it's away from the other weeks, because from April 9th to May 14th, boxing is stacked. Yeah. I it, have a quick question for you. Uh-huh. If that's the date, let's assume that's the date. What's the possibility of twin Charlo versus Mungia for that same card?
2: I don't think it would be on that same card, and you know, there's always the. I I, I know what you're trying to refer to. That there have been some times right. in the, the grapevines that, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, um, right, Chime right, Munguia right. and Jermel Charlo might be uh, might be in talks. because you know, they talked about early May. That's the only date that I could be a possibility. And if his brothers
1: fighting that night, why can't you make it a doubleheader? It wouldn't be the first time they've done this, uh, right? Uh, Just last year, they did a they did um, a, a twin a, a Charlo twin pay per view. That, that was in 2010. Uh, Maybe 2020. 2020, yeah, yeah, 2020. My bad. So they, um, they did that, so, and they fought on the same card
2: multiple times. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know there has been talks. I don't know how deep those talks were, and you know, not to get anyone's hopes up. I don't know if they are going to happen. I've again, Mungia could also very well go the right. WBO route and fight he, Johnny Bakalim Hanala. He, he could fight for either title right now, right? So the Charla fight would be the, for the WBC title. The Johnny Bakalim right. Hanala fight would be for the interim WBO title, likely full WBO if Andrade stays at 168 and vacates that title. Well,
1: if he beat Zach Parker, why come back down to 160? I, I don't understand why they just don't strip him. And, and just make this for the time. Retire- He's never coming back down on 160. There's nothing there for him. But be that as it may, do you is do you think your expert opinion? Strong possibility,
2: uh, or, or a slight possibility? I'm uh, I'm we'll leaning a, a lot closer to slight, very slight okay. possibility. Okay. Um Well, because you know he,
1: the, okay. the old saying: if there's if there's smoke, there's fire. So I don't know. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, I don't know where this rumor came out of, but several people were talking about it today on social media, I, and Daniel fight Charlo, it would only make sense to have that
2: double header that day if they can make, if you could make it happen. Yeah. So back to Jamel versus uh, Brian Castano. So if I can take place no later than May 14, if for whatever reason, something regarding to Castanio prevents the fight from happening then Castaño would be immediately stripped of his title. And, you know, Tim Zhu would fight whoever for the vacant belt. If the fight is called off for reasons attributed to Charlo, whether he's injured or just unable to fight for any reason, then Castaño must fight his mandatory challenger. Tim Zo, right. Uh, Now, Tim Zoo is fighting Terrell Gauche, later this month on March 26. So if Gauche somehow ends that's, up winning... and that's, that's not a
1: definite win for Zou. This is the biggest fight. I'm going to pick Zou to win this fight because um, I think he's a better fighter than Terrell, but Terrell's a solid fighter. He's more than capable, capable of pulling the upset. This is the best fighter Zou's fought in his entire career. So we're we definitely going to see uh, if zoo continues on his quest to become a world champion or if he takes a major setback we'll see
2: yeah so there's a lot to sort of consider uh yeah. but the important dates are may 14 and march 26 in regards to the wbo junior right. middleweight right. title this weekend we got we don't really have a ton of boxing but on friday we got a show box card and this is an interesting one. Typically, Showbox airs fights between uh, you know, featuring up and coming prospects, guys who are, mm-hmm. you know, a, a couple of steps closer to contendership, Uh but not this. But this one is a little bit different because you have the pro debut opening the card of Giovanni Marquez, who is the son. of a former world champion, Raul Marquez. And this is a really, really cool thing. So Raul Marquez, who also does broadcasting on uh, duties on Showbox, he's going to be in Marquez's corner for his fight. And then he's going to be returning to the broadcast booth to call the rest of the card. Mar- Marquez. By the way, Carlos, I've, now
1: I can talk about what I've wanted to talk about for a couple of months now. Mm-hmm. And that's the emergence of a new announcer on Showtime That is impressing the hell out of me. And if anybody knows anything about me, knows that I am not impressed with boxing announcers. Brian Campbell, Carlos, (laughs) is sensational. Him and Marquez together are a tremendous team along with Farhood. That right now, Farhood, Campbell, and Marquez, best announcing team in boxing right now. Uh, Your thoughts on Brian Campbell? Because I thoroughly enjoy his his, his, call, his calling of the fights. No no hyperbole. He knows.
2: You kind of cut off right there towards towards the end, uh, Robert. With uh, where, where but- was I? Where, where, what was the last thing I said? <laughs> you were. You're basically talking about how you like how there's no hyperbole in in right. the way he calls no, his fights. Okay, there's no hyperbole in the way Campbell talks. Um,
1: he know he's very knowledgeable about the sport and he knows the difference between a jab. Hooking
2: across. Oh, I know that's um, a big pet peeve uh, with you regards a, to that. He is very,
1: very good. And I enjoyed the two times I heard him. I think he's done the last two showbox cards. He's been tremendous. I don't know where they found him. Key, him, Marquez, and Farhood, in my opinion right now, best, uh, oh, and I can't forget about the great the Hall of Famer. Oh, man, he used to do the HBO back in the day. Early signs of dementia. Uh, Sir, I'm sorry. I your name right now. No, not. He doesn't do Showbox. Uh, he he was the HBO announcer for years before Lampley took over. He's done Showbox for years also. Anyway, I'm, I apologize, sir, if you're listening. I should know you. If my father was alive, he smacked me. They're a tremendous team. They're a tremendous team. In my opinion, the best boxing announcing team on the planet. Uh, Carlos, I asked you a question that I got cut off, you didn't hear. Your thoughts on Brian Campbell as a boxing announcer. I'm thoroughly,
2: thoroughly enjoying his, his, his announcing. Yeah, I, you know, that combination of Brian, Steve Farhood, and Barry Tompkins. Uh... Barry Tompkins, <laughs> thank you. I forgot you. Barry, I
1: apologize. My father loved your work, and you are,
2: uh, you, you are you are very deserving of your Hall of Fame. And t- oh, I agree. I agree. Barry uh, Barry Tompkins is sensational. He is. I think he's my favorite uh, play-by-play guy in boxing right now. I honestly believe. I that. can't blame you. Yeah, I couldn't argue with
1: you if you felt that way. But but Brian Campbell, your thoughts are on him? Because I think he's got a
2: tremendous future in boxing. You know, I'll be honest. Um, I know Brian Campbell has had uh, you know. A lot of people in boxing were a little like, eh, like iffy on him, uh, especially on boxing boxing fans because you know he's been he's been with Showtime for a while. He does the Morning Combat podcast with Luke Thomas that air that also airs on uh, on Showtime. They've done you know some coverage like studio coverage, especially during the pandemic, uh, for Showtime Championship boxing. Have, a lot of I haven't watched any I haven't watched any of that. I don't watch shit like that.
1: I watch the fights, and from what he's done the last couple of months, I'm I'm impressed. Oh, he does great. I know. know, I actually like him. I like that combination. But hard. When when it comes to boxing announcers, I am the hardest person on the planet to impress because I've seen them all. I've seen the greats. Cosell, Lampley, Walu, Bernstein. I've seen all the greats. Tompkins. I've seen all the greats. And today, very few and far between. Campbell, no hyperbole. He calls it like he's got a tremendous future. I don't know about the podcast and all the other stuff that people criticizing him. I could only talk about what he does on Showbox so far. And I think also what what helps him, Carlos, is that he's around great professionals like Farhood Marquez and Tompkins.
2: Yeah. They, that ups his game. Yeah. It really does. It really does. Um but yeah, I like that. I do like the um the team that they got going on. The rest of that showbox card is also a pretty solid one, albeit it's had a, a few changes. Uh Luisa Costa fights Anduin Delos Santos, um uh, you know lightweight eight rounder and then the main event Ardriol Holmes versus Vernon Brown. A very good fight between uh young junior welterweights on the card. It's a very, very solid 10-rounder. This was an interesting... So, originally, this was supposed to be a four-fight card. Who's promoting this card? Who's promoting this card? Uh, Let me see. Hmm. I'm not entirely... Uh, Holden Productions. I don't not super familiar with hold with holden you know, production. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar because I know
1: at one point, and you you told me that's not the case anymore. That the Bella used to do all the showbox. Yeah, they don't uh, promotions. Yeah, yeah, he now uh, it's been what King's promotion right a few times
2: since. Yeah, King's promotions uh, also does a lot of the uh-huh. the showbox yeah. cards. Yeah, uh, so the four it was originally a four fight card. Ardriel Holmes was supposed to fight uh, Makarov Sanginov. He got injured, and Vernon Brown mm-hmm. was supposed to fight Hershidbeck-Normatov, Nor- and he got injured in camp, so decided to just uh, kind of put the two fighters who are actually helping, just yeah. making the new main event.
1: Only makes sense. And another solid Showbox card. Show box, showtime, period, continues to be the best network when it comes to airing quality boxing, and it will continue. It will continue and, uh, throughout the throughout the rest of the year. Um, oh, Showtime always always delivers with his uh, with his boxing. Hell, you had the first major upset of the year with Mark McSayo beating Gary Russell a couple of months ago.
2: <laughs> the only other major boxing card this weekend is on the zone in Nottingham, where you got Lee Wood. Going up against Michael Conlin for the WBA regular featherweight title. This is a very, very solid fight at, at featherweight. Mm-hmm. Lee Wood and Michael Conlon coming off arguably career best performances. Lee Wood just dominating and stopping Su uh, Chan last July at fight camp. Michael Conlon finally breaking out of his shell and just giving us his best performance against T.A. Dainey last year, not 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 the greatest performance ever, but I would say his best looking performance as a pro so yes. far and nowadays yes, he is. takes another yes, big is. step and go up against a hard hitting and very pressure heavy Lee wood.
1: I'm gonna predict uh wood by a convincing decision I think he's a better fighter than common um Um, Even in Conlon's last fight against TJ, yeah, it was his best performance, but Conlon, it hasn't been since the amateurs where I saw Conlon as a great fighter. He has not fought great as a pro. Lee Wood, the last couple of fights, has been lights out. Um, I see Lee Wood winning by decision. If Conlon wins this fight, Carlos, he's got to put out more than what he's been showing his entire career combined. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. We'll
2: see. Yeah, and, you know, there's a lot at stake. You know, not just the WBA regular title, but, you know, winner is going to be ordered to fight Gary Russell Jr. Um, not Gary Russell, uh, Leo Santa Cruz. And if Santa Cruz Leo doesn't Santa take that fight, right. then uh, well, the winner becomes, like, supposed the sole WBA champion, because I would imagine by that point, Leo Santa Cruz is going to be stripped. Or he the the super title, so you know. And there's a lot of big fights that you can make uh, at featherweight for whoever wins this fight. I mean, you you can do. You, you know, hey, listen. If Mauricio Lara doesn't get the Josh Warren and Kiko Martinez winner, I mean, who's you to say get that winner? You Mauricio Lara could fight the the winner of this one, especially if Lee Wood wins. When I think that would make for a yep. really good fight.
1: Man, um, it, it, Wood versus Lyra would be fireworks, complete fireworks. Uh, Lyra versus Conlon, Conlon? Conlon would have to fight his ass off to, to keep Lyra off of him. I don't know if he's capable. But Wood versus Lyra? That, that could go 12 rounds of rock em sock and robot action or two or three rounds, one shot, good night, either fighter. That's how, how enticing that matchup is, if it ever happens.
2: So the undercard of of the the Zone show, Gary Cully versus Miguel Vasquez, Terry Harper versus Yamila Belen Abelaneda, uh, Sandy Ryan. Goddamn, Miguel Vasquez is still fighting?
1: Who is he, 65 years old? (laughs) Is this guy still? 35. there's There's so many guys that have no business in the ring. Miguel Vasquez, Yorkies Gamboa. As, uh, there's so many fighters. Why are these guys still fighting? And now I'm hearing rumors that uh, Amir Khan wants wants to exercise possibly the rematch clause against Kell Brook. Why?
2: I don't. know. That makes no sense. Money? I, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Money? Uh-huh. They're getting Betty a lot better yes. than we're led to believe. Uh, Miguel Vasquez, eh, on is on on a win streak, which has not happened since the mid 2010s. So. I don't know. I guess he is coming with a little bit of momentum into. (laughs) It's better than nothing, and you know, and Gary Coley is—he's still young, he's still coming into his uh, to his own. But he's, you know, he's been getting some decent action uh, over the last couple of years. So Vakas is a slight step up, but. You know, it's just another fight in the development of Gary Culligan and seeing where he stands right now. Uh, you know, Sandy Ryan on the, uh, taking a really big step up in her only her fourth fight as a professional fighter, but she's going to be taking on former world champion Erika Farias, who has fought a number of names throughout her career, from Jessica McCaskill, Twice, actually. Michaela Mayer, Huge Cecilia Braykes, They, She's fought a who's who. She's fought, of everybody. Women's boxing. she's fought everybody. Huge step up for the young lady. Wish her good luck. Yeah, so this is a. This will tell us whether Sandy Ryan really is the goods. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. now you can argue that fought, Erica is not exactly on on a great position uh, momentum-wise because she's lost her last three straight, but they right. were against Jessica McCaskill and Michaela Mayer, so... I think yeah. she could be forgiven. Uh, for yeah, she lost. She lost to yeah. the best of the best. It's not like she she just lost to anybody, right? Yeah. So those are your notable fights on the undercard of this the zone show. So and that's kind of all the boxing you got. Not a, again, not a whole lot. That you know, kind of why we spent the majority of the show actually talk, re- recapping stuff. Because there were a couple of really good stuff uh to uh to examine especially in the title picture of 140 Chocolate Tito's performs but yeah this is um it's kind of pretty much it not a whole again not a ton of major news aside from the Charlo and the Golofkin updates and that's about it so unless, Robert unless you have anything uh left to ask nah, we could we we could close it out big man All right Robert working to get people find you on Twitter and read your
1: work On Twitter, my handle is Robert Silver 5768 Fight Game Media, I mean, I've got a ton of stuff. Uh, Right now, I'm working on my 45 Greatest Fighters the Last 45 Years series of articles. Out right now is the number 20 of the last 45 years, the body snatcher, Mike McCollum. Coming up soon, I've already finished on two. I'm finishing up on the third. And I'll reveal to the listeners out there who is... 19, 18, and 17. These articles will be coming out soon. Number 19, and unfortunately, he's going through some hell right now, so talk about uh, ironic timing. Wilfredo Gomez. Right. Uh, number eight, number, and it's sad, sad, sad situation. Number 18, Andre Ward, and number 17, Bernard Hopkins, all coming soon to
2: our parent website, fightgamemedia.com. You can find me on Twitter at Toro Media, same name on YouTube. And that'll do it for this episode of the Pound for Pound podcast. He's Robert Silva. I'm Calls Toro. This is it for this episode. And we'll see you in the next one on the Pound for Pound podcast on the Fight Game Media Network. Hope you enjoyed this weekend's fights, and we'll see you all in the next one. Goodbye, everyone